What's up, YouTubers, thrill seekers, small gerbils, and undocumented conservatives? It's Mr. Palumbo on this Good Friday. I hope everyone has a good Friday, those of you that are observing Easter. Today, we're going to talk about the dangers of democracy. That's right. You heard it correctly. Don't adjust your dials. But we are today going to talk about the dangers of democracy. And on the onset, I want to say that this is not some anti-democratic, authoritarian, fascist rant. We're just going to discuss the pitfalls and the weaknesses that come with the form of government known as democracy. You know, no government is perfect. There are no perfect systems out there. Sorry, the 20-something socialist in college right now. But it's true. All government systems have flaws. They all have, I guess you could say, they all have pros and they all have cons. But no government is perfect. One of my favorite memes has a picture of the Athenian trial of Socrates. And the caption reads, Ancient Greeks invent democracy and vote to execute Socrates. I often tell my students that the founding fathers... Well, talk about the patriarchy. Anyway, the founding fathers considered democracy a four-letter word. And yet in school today, all we hear about is democracy. We are a democracy. And did you know that the word democracy is not found in the Constitution? So why did the founding fathers see democracy as such a dangerous thing? Well, two words, factions and passions. And we're going to dig into these two words a little deeper. You know, James Madison, who's known as the father of the Constitution, wrote about factions and passions in Federalist 10. And if you'd like to dig deeper, please go read the Federalists. You can get them online. Uh, Some of the language is a little archaic. But in Federalist 10, Madison writes, Democracies have ever been spectacles of turbulence and contention. Boy, doesn't that sound like us today? A society of turbulence and contention? So what is a faction and what are passions? So let's define these terms today. A passion is a strong, often uncontrollable feeling or belief. And a faction is a group of people with like-minded values, agendas, and goals. So for those of us who have studied economics really quick, we know that the essential question is that resources are inequitably distributed, right? No, not everybody's rich. Not everybody's educated. Not everybody is uh, in a a nice house, right? Life is about the inequities. And so factions form, right? Poor people faction with other poor people. Black people will group with black people. White people will group with white people. Oh, the racism. No, no, it's not racism. People of like-minded values and agendas will group together. And then the passions, right? This uncontrollable feeling or belief. I love that definition, right? How many times can you have you been at work or you're on social media and you can't even have a conversation because of the passions? Fake news! Trump is racist. Obama is from another country. So you can see right on the onset that 
democracy can harbor these two things that dangerously, when combined, can create an unstable element. These two concepts alone illustrate how Plato put it nearly 2,400 years ago. Tyranny naturally arises out of democracy. So let's set the table here and I'll explain. First, democracy is about majority rule. How do you get a majority to vote for you? Well, we all could say that, well, it's whoever makes a better argument for the nation. But in reality, especially today, all you have to do is promise the most things to the most people. There was a story uh, about the Georgia runoff, the Georgia Senate runoff, that talked about how people were upset with President Biden because he was walking back his promise of a $2,000 stimulus check, telling his voters he needed the Democrat candidates to win so he can control the Senate so he could pass the $2,000 checks. Well, as we know, both Democratic senators won, and so now he could give people that money, but now he started backing up, and as you know, he ended up only giving out $1,400. You know, I couldn't help but think people literally voted just for $2,000. That was the sole reason? Yep. That's how democracy works, folks. Promise the most people the world and win power. I once heard democracy described this way. Democracy is a lynch mob with everyone voting but the man being lynched. Benjamin Franklin once described democracy as two wolves and a lamb voting on what to have for lunch. If I may be so bold as to lump myself in with the likes of Franklin, Madison, and Plato, I once described the dangers of democracy this way. Pure democracy is mob rule, where natural rights can be violated as long as 51% agree. To be completely honest, I totally forgot that I posted that on Facebook until a faithful follower reposted it. Thank you, sir, wherever you are. Okay, so second, let's talk about factions. Factions form because some people are rich and some people aren't. Some people have land, others do not. People hold different beliefs about everything. God, economics, politics, values, society. And because of this, we often form like-minded groups. Another way you can call this is a faction. The more a government relies on democracy, the more temptation there is to manipulate factions. This is even more accentuated with today's identity politics. Instead of people simply being Americans who disagree on policy, it's men versus women, it's blacks versus whites, it's gay versus straight, it's immigrant versus native, and the list goes on. In the past, a president or a political party would try to appeal to several factions in an attempt to garner over 51% of the vote. And this is still the case today. But as the country continues to split along different subcultures and persuasions, I believe it's getting more and more difficult to build a coalition. The past president to enjoy consistently high approval ratings, at least comfortably above 50%, was Bill Clinton with 55%. The past three presidents, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, and Donald Trump, all hovered over the low to mid-40s. 
So instead of appealing to the middle of the country, which takes a lot of time and effort and, frankly, talent, you have to have communication and you have to have intelligence. Politicians today take the short route. They divide rich versus poor, city versus rural, white people versus, well, everyone. You get the picture. And both sides do this. They divide because it's easier to divide. Let's get those passions up. Let's find those factions that like us and let's spin their their passion up and let's get them to hate each other and then I will win power. You guys, this is inherent in the system. Even if the guy is a nice guy, this is the easy way to get power. And this isn't new. This is, you know, Hitler blamed the Jews. Stalin blamed the fascists and the capitalists. Mussolini blamed the Italian elites and other foreign influences. To a lesser degree, but in the same vein, Obama blamed those who cling to guns and religion for not embracing his political agenda. Trump's rhetoric was also blaming China and blaming foreigners for many of America's economic woes. And this is where the passions come in. Remember, passion is a strong belief or an uncontrollable feeling. Passions, like fear, can cause most people to think or act irrationally. Uncontrolled passion can lead to conflict and irrational thought. Knowing this, Madison and others tried to stem the tide by allowing direct representation in the House of Representatives, but the upper house, the Senate, that would be a slow and deliberate body chosen by the state legislatures. The Senate was to be a bulwark against the passions and factions that come with democracy. But then we have the progressive era who saw the Constitution as an anti-democratic document. And they sought to democratize America. The progressives of the early 20th century thought it wasn't democratic enough. So they passed the 17th Amendment, which allowed direct elections of senators. So now we basically have the same challenges in both houses. Instead of looking after the state's concerns and interests, senators focus on spinning up the passions and the factions of the masses in order to secure their votes and remain in power. In his book, The Liberty Amendments, constitutionalist and radio talk show host Mark Levin writes, The 17th Amendment serves not the public's interest, but the interest of the governing masterminds and their disciples. Its early proponents advanced it not because they championed democracy or the individual, but because they knew it would be one of the several important mechanisms for empowering the federal government and unraveling the constitutional republicanism. Think about all of the legislation that would have not passed if the states had real representation in Washington. Obamacare, Social Security, the Great Society, all massive federal overreach would have been thwarted if senators were beholden to their states and not the other way around. Think about the recent impeachment of Donald Trump. Many state legislatures voted to censure their representatives or their senators due to their vote to convict. Well, in regards to representatives, states don't have much say. But if the 17th Amendment were repealed, any senator who went against the wishes of their state could be removed. State legislatures could hold their senators' feet to the fire. Today, once a senator gets elected, he or she can do whatever they want. 
Voters won't remember what they do six years later. We have a short memory. Remember, like I said earlier, they promised $2,000 to secure the vote. And once in office, they reneged. I'd like to mention one last thing about democracy, and that's this idea of universal suffrage. Suffrage is the right to vote. So obviously universal suffrage implies that everyone is allowed to vote. You've heard the one person, one vote. But knowing what we've just discussed, I'm sure many of you can see that if we expand the voting base, which at this point is every American citizen above the age 18, you also expand the factions and the passions. You also dilute the vote itself. You know, I'm an economics guy, and in economics we have this thing called inflation, right? Now, many economists define inflation as the increase in the price of things, but I like to go the other way. I like to tell my students that inflation is the loss of the spending power of the dollar because too many dollars are in circulation. Well, why can't the same thing be true about voting? Think of it this way. There's three people voting and only one is informed and the other two vote for the other guy because they promised him something. How is that an informed populace? How is that a uh, secure and just system? How does that help the country? It doesn't. You know, John F. Kennedy won by a narrow margin in 1960, but he carried a majority of the female vote. To many, he was young and attractive. Richard Nixon? He was old, ugly, boring. He was the past. Many candidates today are coached on what to wear and how to sound so they can attract certain voters. I've heard stories of voters voting because of the color of the tie of the candidate. You might have noticed that more and more candidates, especially on the Democratic side, are speaking Spanish on the campaign trail. Hmm, why is that? The more people who are allowed to vote further divides the electorate into smaller and smaller sections. When America first started under the Constitution, voting was reserved to male landowners only. Could you imagine that today? How elitist and misogynistic. Well, why do you think this is? One reason was the idea of ownership, or what I like to call skin in the game. If you were a landowner, you had a vested interest in how the country was ran. You paid taxes, and you literally invested in the country through your land ventures. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were poor and a politician said, I'm going to take someone's wealth away and give it to you, all you have to do is vote for me. Would you vote for him? What do you have to lose? You own nothing. You can literally vote to have the government take someone else's wealth away as long as you can get 51%, of course. In an article called The Corruption of Universal Suffrage, Brad Walmsley writes, Universal suffrage seems difficult to challenge. There are few reasonable justifications for claiming that any particular individual, except maybe the lunatic or the criminal, is less fit than others to cast his vote for a legislature which makes the laws which will be imposed upon us all. But universal suffrage corrupts the democratic process because it's power without responsibility. People can demand what they like because a simple majority enables their elected government to impose any law wished by the majority. So in closing, guys, I hope I provoked some thought this morning. 
I hope, uh, you know, we can at least see that there are blind spots or pitfalls or, yes, even dangers when it comes to democracy. And unfortunately, I don't have any answers. I mean, how, uh, like, like Mr. Walmsley says, we can't really argue for restricting voting rights. Is, is the guy who's poor, we're not going to let him vote because he's poor? Where's the fairness in that? Where's the justice in that? Obviously, that would be wrong. I definitely think repealing the 17th Amendment would allow at least a, a, an assistance to help stem the tide of majoritarianism. But regarding the dilemma democracy brings, I think Winston Churchill might have said it best in a speech to Parliament when he said, Many forms of government have been tried and will be tried in this world of sin and woe, but no one pretends that democracy is perfect or all-wise. Indeed, it has been said that democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the other forms of government that have been tried from time to time. So there you have it, folks. I don't know what to say. All I can do is give you the knowledge, and maybe someone out there will be the next leader to help us figure out how to get rid of the passions and the factions that tear our country apart. We are not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic. And if I keep saying that, maybe the young ones will learn that and maybe they will do something about it. Here at Professor Liberty, we seek to educate, inspire, and restore. If you like this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and give me a five-star rating. If you want to email me, it's ProfessorLiberty1776 at gmail.com. Homeschoolers, if you want to check out some of my lessons and materials, please go to TeachersPayTeachers.com. Thanks for listening. Go throughout the land and proclaim liberty.